Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. This episode discusses an unsolved murder involving some disturbing details and may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. Good day, everybody. We're going to continue with the story of the murder of Betty Gail Brown with Wayne Johnson. This is part two of our podcast. Wayne, we had stopped uh, last time when they found the body in front of Old Morrison. How did the investigation start? Well, the murder of Betty Gail Brown was, of course, headline news, not only here in Lexington, but in newspapers all over Kentucky. I mean, this was a big story, uh, big mystery. Mm-hmm. Police here in Lexington dedicated all their available resources and staff to try to solve the murder. They did the best they could, but they had never encountered such a, such a baffling case before. Now, Lexington's had its share of famous crimes over the years, the Betty Shea murder of the late 1800s, mm-hmm. the 1920 Geneva Hart- Hardman murder, which resulted in the courthouse riots in 1920. Of course, the 1941 Marion Miley murder uh, was huge, uh, 1965 Mary Gawain murder, and the 1977 Melanie Flynn disappearance. Yeah. All these crimes are noted in Lexington history or are or fascinating crimes, but I don't think anything has reached the legendary status of the Pettigale Brown mm-hmm. case. I mean, here it is 57 years later, and uh, people writing books about it, and here we are talking about it. So it was a, a big deal back then, and, and still still a big deal. People want to see this thing solved. And it's so well, tragic, too. Yes. Um, well, yes. It's, it's, the details of the, yes. the murder. And it's tragic for her and tragic for her parents and uh, her friends and uh, the school and so forth. Mm-hmm. You know, a reporter said years later, after Betty Gell was killed, he, he he noted in this article, he said Betty Gell Brown was more famous and known because of her murder than she ever was in real life. And when I read that, I said, well, I said to myself, well, maybe so, but I think, uh, you know, just researching this this person's biography over the years. I think if she had lived, she she would have done something special. I'm not quite sure what it would have been, but she she was she was a very ambitious and very um, determined young woman with her with everything she did. She, she had some talent. Yeah. And I think it would have led to uh, So what are some of the rumors about since the murder was never solved? Well, the motive was unclear. Mm-hmm. And I I think the key to solving this case and I would imagine the police would say so too is is let's find a motive mm-hmm. and maybe by finding the motive you can solve the case uh, the motive was unclear they ruled out robbery because her purse was intact mm-hmm. she had jewelry on none, none of that was taken um, sexual assault even though the a bra was used as a murder weapon was uh, ruled out because mm-hmm. she hadn't been raped uh, so they ruled out that out uh, the physical evidence was very limited, and reliable witnesses just weren't there. Mm-hmm. There were none. Uh, a waitress at a local drive-in had grabbed the front-page news headline a few days later when she claimed she had served Betty Gale and another girl at her restaurant at, 
about midnight the evening of the crime. Okay. But it turns out she may have been mistaken on that day, on the day that uh, she served Betty Gale and her friend. Um, and this led to all kinds of rumors mm -hmm. that even persist to to the current day. Uh, many of Betty Gale's classmates told police they thought they knew who, who committed the crime. Mm -hmm. And a man even went to the police station and told the police who he suspected had, done, had committed the crime. Mm -hmm. But uh, nothing came of it? or Well, I'm sure that it was investigated, but uh, as we see 57 years later, nobody <laughs> was, uh, <laughs> it doesn't look like any of them were, got caught mm -hmm. or, or were uh, put on trial. A transy worker quit his job the day after the murder and left town immediately, so he was he was put out there as a suspect. A radio station even aired a report a couple days after the murder that a girl had been arrested and then had to back off uh, the report when no arrest was made. Mm -hmm. uh, the local newspaper even at the time reported they were ready to announce who killed Betty Gale. Mm -hmm. And then they backed out of the story moments or minutes before the newspaper went to press and backed down from mm -hmm. it. So there was a lot of speculation at the time, uh, a lot of rumors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the police not only had to deal with all these rumors and theories, but they also had to contend with this media frenzy, which uh, fed all these rumors. Yeah. You know, the uh, newspapers were reporting. False at, information? At, well, yeah. You know, you can, you can say... Fake news may not have been invented in the fall of 61 in Lexington, Kentucky, but it sure seemed to be perfected. Yeah. There was a lot of false information out there. Mm -hmm. They had to contend with that yeah. during their investigation. They had to contend with the uh, Transylvania president, who seemed to be conducting his own investigation on campus. He oh, would wow. call male students into his office and conduct interviews, trying to find out what happened. And then uh, Betty Gale's mother, Quincy Brown, conducted her own investigation. She went out and interviewed the uh, waitress that had said she had seen it. Betty Gale. And so the police were dealing with all this, and it really made things difficult for them. And, you know, the transy students were caught caught in this as well. You know, fingerprinting of all the male transy students took place, and a lot of them had to go through lie detector tests to be cleared. Mm -hmm. uh, and even after all this, there still wasn't a, a solution to the crime. And the uh, fingerprints that were found in the car were well, they found to? Well, they found the ones that you would normally expect to find, uh, they, Betty Gales. And even though they didn't fingerprint Betty Gale before she was buried, but uh, I'm sure her fingerprints are in there. They found her mother's fingerprints. They found the father's fingerprints. And they found the only other identifiable fingerprint uh, that was found was the uh, car mechanic that had worked on her car that morning. Oh, okay. And his, his fingerprints were found there. But uh, th there's very little physical evidence in, in the car uh, as to who committed this crime. So okay. after weeks of uh, headlines and the investigations, the story kind of went into the background. And occasionally over the next couple years, a possible lead would be reported and, and the news would report it. But it, they, they always led to nothing. So Betty Gale faded away to the back of people's minds, but it always remained with the community. After a few years of the crime remaining unsolved, somebody confessed to the murder? Yes. In January 1965, 
what seemed to be a break in the case uh, happened. In Klamath Falls, Oregon, the police department there contacted the Lexington Police Department and said that they had a man in their drunk tank who wanted to confess to the crime of murdering Betty Gail Brown. His name was Alex Arnold. He was a 33-year-old former Lexingtonian, lived here in Lexington. He was a, a horse groom. Mm-hmm. Of course, the Lexington police flew out there and talked to Arnold and actually uh, got a confession from Alex Arnold. Okay. Uh, he confessed to a crime. In, in the confession, he claimed he was in the area on the night of the murder and had just awoken after having a few drinks and came across a car parked in front of Old Morrison and saw a couple girls in there embracing Mm -hmm. and he went up to them and asked i think he asked for a match for his cigarette and according to him they started uh, cursing him out so he got mad and he reached into the car and uh, beat and strangled betty gail brown with her bra uh, which was already off according to him and the other girl according to him ran away okay that was his confession He, he said he did it the police of course had to take this confession seriously. Of course. So this brought the whole Betty Gale Brown story back to the front page again. Um, you know, in their anxiety to get this case solved, the police and prosecutors took took Arnold at, at his word for mm-hmm. his confession, and I don't blame him for that, that. But most everything in his confession could have been gotten from newspaper reports at the time of the murder. Okay. Everything that he talked about, with the exception of approaching two girls in a car in front of Old Morrison, was actually reported in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they took his they took his uh, his confession very seriously, although little attention was paid to the fact that Arnold was also experiencing alcohol withdrawal symptoms at the time of his confessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he confessed to the crime. But uh, when he was in his cell out there in Oregon, he was also talking to dots on the wall and probably little green man, too. So it kind of brings his confession into question. They brought Arnold back to Lexington and the prosecutor's office indicted him for the murder of Betty Gail Brown. Uh, The trial, which some would consider a show trial, Mm -hmm. uh, grabbed the attention of the community. It took place in October 1965, and this is nine months after he confessed to the crime. And the community really got interested in the in the trial, and the jury was hung seven to five for acquittal. Seven okay. of the. So I'm assuming he rescinded his his he, confession, dur- and that's dur- why it went to trial. The, yes, during the trial, he recanted his confession. He said he couldn't remember whether he killed her or not. Mm-hmm. The thing that probably got him off was he couldn't prove his own confession. You know, his <laughs> confession got him to trial, but, uh, you know, he confessed. But there was no fiscal evidence linking Alex Arnold to the crime. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just woke up from a three-hour drunk and went into a car mm-hmm. to kill somebody, you would think there would be fingerprints and yeah. all kinds of uh, evidence that you'd leave behind. There there was nothing uh, at the crime scene to... to uh, connect Alex Arnold to the crime. No fingerprints, no wine bottles that he claimed he was drinking. So um, it's my opinion that his confession was bogus. Okay. Uh, who, who knows? But my, my instincts tell me that it was a bogus confession. Now, an interesting side note during one of my research uh, days mm-hmm. was during the Alex Arnold trial, one of the jurors actually received a call mm-hmm. from a, a, a caller, a woman, who asked if uh, the juror could take a closer look at the student who last saw Betty Gale Brown alive. 
she was referring to the, the student, student that walked her to her car okay. and then followed her out. And, of course, he didn't have anything to do with it. He mm-hmm. passed a lie detector test. He had witnesses that said he returned to the dorm room and so forth. So he, he didn't have anything to do with it. But I've always thought that that call is, is, is interesting because it's almost like somebody out there. And, and back in those days, you have to remember, jurors mm-hmm. on trials, even as prominent as the Alex Arnold trial, their names were published in the newspaper. Oh. So you could read the newspaper and say, oh, such and such is on the trial. So and then you open up the telephone book and look up their number. And, and that's what this lady did. And I always wondered if the person who called this juror and trying to divert his attention away from Alex Arnold's guilt was somehow connected to the case and knew that Alex Arnold hadn't committed the crime and was mm-hmm. trying to save him because this was a death, a death penalty case. Mm-hmm. If Alex Arnold had been a proven guilty, he would have been sent to the chair. Yeah, and the so, jury was not sequestered. During no, the apparently not, because he was home during the trial. Yeah, and received the phone call. He he immediately handed the phone to his to his wife and said, "This person's trying to talk to me about the case. I can't talk to him." Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, I I've always wondered: is the person that called that juror somehow that knows who killed Betty Gale Brown? Just okay. an interesting side. It is side interesting. Note. Like I said, the jury hung seven to five for acquittal. And the prosecution office held the indictment open over Alex Arnold in hopes of retrying the case later on. But finally, in February of 1973, all the charges were dropped against Arnold. And he died uh, in June of 1980 at the age of 49. Okay. And and like I said, I'm, I'm not afraid to go on record. I don't think he had anything to do with it. Yeah. Well, that still, that still remains a mystery. That's why people are still talking about this murder. Yes. So it's 2018 and the, the murder still has not been solved. Do you think it will ever be solved? Well, you know, according to the, I, th- I think it's the Uniform Crime Report, mm-hmm. the, the case is resolved. Mm-hmm. The fact that a person confessed to it mm-hmm. and had a trial and the jury hung, mm-hmm. uh, officially, I guess the police reports consider this case resolved mm-hmm. due to that. But the community, we know better. The community doesn't think this case is yeah. solved. In fact, I was reading that in 2010, the Lexington police actually investigated a possible link to another serial killer, uh, Nolan Ray George. Yes. And that he may have committed the murder. What came of that investigation? They couldn't pin anything on him. Mm-hmm. And because there was so little evidence at the crime scene, mm-hmm. uh, you couldn't prove it was him. I, I think I read something about that where he... He was in the area during the time, mm-hmm. but I don't know what they define as in the area because he was somebody who murdered people, women, I think, up mm-hmm. in Michigan, Ohio, yeah. and Kentucky. But I think it may be just grasping for straws. There, you know, there's yeah. so many people, and especially the police department, who mm-hmm. want to get this thing resolved. Yeah. And it's, it's like trying to solve the Rubik's Cube. I think there's, what, 43 quintillion ways <laughs> to do it. of doing the Rebus Cube, and, and it's almost that way with this murder yeah. case. It's like there's so many things. I, I do think that, you know, instead of finding or instead of concentrating on who killed Betty Gale Brown, that if you're looking, starting to look at this case today, you mm-hmm. might be better off trying to look at the motive mm-hmm. first, um, why she was murdered, mm-hmm. you know, because that's to me, that's the key question. 
other than who murdered her is why she was murdered. Mm -hmm. I think if you can answer that question, you can possibly answer the the who portion of it. Mm -hmm. Will it ever be resolved? Uh, I think Betty Gail Brown, she would be, what, 76 years old Mm -hmm. now? I think she still has, like I said, she was a very popular person. I think she still has a lot of friends around Mm -hmm. that maybe might have some pertinent information to solve the case, but are, for whatever reason, afraid to come out and say what they they know. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they don't want to damage somebody's reputation, or maybe they're just not quite sure. Yeah. But uh, maybe one of them will have a, quote, rosebud moment mm-hmm. near the end and come out and say, well, this is the person that did it. Yeah. Uh, her father died in 1990, and her mom died, I think, in 2002. Okay. So both parents are gone. She didn't have any siblings? She was an only child, but she does still have friends around. Yeah. And occasionally, you'll, when you're reading the newspaper reports, you'll you'll see a friend quoted about, you know, still searching and still hoping to find what happened. So I think there's still some people out there who may come forward at some point mm-hmm. and just decide, you know, Hey, before I leave this earth, I want to clear this up. Yeah. I I actually think that's the only, other than a 100% provable confession from somebody, deathbed confession, Mm -hmm. I don't think this uh, thing will ever be solved uh, completely. Yeah. Okay, so you said that there's a lot of rumors um, going around at the time of the investigation. What are your some of your theories and some of the rumors that you came upon during your research? Okay. Well, you know, whenever a, a child dies mm-hmm. in mysterious circumstances mm-hmm. like this, of course, the parents are the first Suspects, people. Yeah. Well, they're the first people that you want to clear mm-hmm. and get them out of the way so you can concentrate on some other suspects. The thing that's always bothered me about this case, and, you know, I grew up watching Columbo. The famous TV detective. And he always caught his person by something that he he would just see and he says to himself, this doesn't fit Mm -hmm. in the scenario. Well, the one thing to me Mm -hmm. that doesn't fit on the day of the crime, and it just could be me, but it doesn't fit to me that two working parents go out to see a movie on on a Thursday night, which is work the following day they have to work yeah maybe they weren't working the next day but betty gale had suggested that uh, they go see this movie mm-hmm. when they were eating dinner on the night of the crime and they went to see the movie okay so i would be really interested if i was investigating this case i think the uh, f- first of all logic tells me when betty gale brown left Foyer hall mm-hmm. at midnight after a long day of study, classes and school and all that, and she had a major test the next morning at 8.30, mm-hmm. and she jumps in her car, and she's heading home. She is seen heading home. Mm-hmm. Logic, nothing else, but logic tells me she was heading home. Yeah. I know all these rumors were that, well, she was seen at this restaurant or she was seen mm-hmm. with her boyfriend, all this stuff. Logic would tell you that she made it home. Mm-hmm. or she was heading home. So mm-hmm. either she got home mm-hmm. or she was stopped on the way home by somebody she knew. Yeah, That's what logic tells me. Um, so 
Yeah, if, if I was investigating this case, I would kind of start with the parents mm-hmm. to see if I can clear them. Now, in their defense, they did pass a lie detector test. Yeah. Uh, about three weeks later, uh, they requested a lie detector test because rumors are all rampant. Over and yeah. and yeah. actually, an anonymous caller had called their home and accused Mrs. Brown of committing a murder. Mm-hmm. So they called the police and said, hey, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, they were the subject of sus- suspicions mm-hmm. at the time. And uh, like I said, the, I would be interested to see what movie they went to. Mm-hmm. And uh, how, what time they came home? <laughs> yeah, they claim they got home about 10 o'clock. Okay. So, but it would be interesting to me, mm-hmm. from my perspective, from the psychological motive part of this crime, I would be really interested mm-hmm. to know what movie they saw. Yeah. And then take it from there. Mm, interesting. Uh, and, and hopefully clear them. The mother say why she waited so long to wake up the dad. She went on two searches. Well, you know, her search her searches were problematic uh, for her mm-hmm. as far as these rumors because she did a lot of things or didn't do a lot of things during her searches that people looked at and kind of wondered. Like, for an example, at 1230 when she jumped in her car, she mm-hmm. didn't wake up her husband. And, you know, that's another kind of problem, too, is that after the crime, they had reported to the police that Mm -hmm. Betty Gale had been receiving threatening phone calls after her photo appeared in the newspaper. Well, if I'm a parent, I'm not so sure I'd let my 19-year-old daughter out driving around after midnight if she'd been receiving threatening phone calls. Anyway, Mm -hmm. Mrs. Brown, instead of calling the dorm Mm -hmm. to find out if Betty Gale was still there, jumped in her car and started looking for her. Mm-hmm. Without then, calling first. Without calling first. And then when she got to the dorm, she didn't. apparently she didn't bother to knock on the door and mm-hmm. find out whether she was still there or not. Maybe she thought since she didn't see the car that she wasn't there. But, uh, yes, yeah, she didn't wake up the dad. Another major problem is she didn't pull up to old Morrison. Yeah. She, she claims she went up and down the streets, looking on side streets, looking in parking lots, and she mm-hmm. looked everywhere, apparently, but the place that her daughter's car was found, which yeah. is in front of Old Morrison. And that's a big so, drive. I mean, you can't really yes, miss it. Yes, it is. Yeah. And, you know, speaking, uh, you, you guys are parents, and you probably know this. If something happened to your child, mm-hmm. all reason goes out the, <laughs> all, out the door. You may not think reasonably yeah. about what you should do. So, you know, I, I got to think that maybe that's what was going on with with Quincy Brown mm-hmm. is uh, but yeah that her search and the reporting of her search mm-hmm. really brought her into the forefront of uh, suspicions yeah. with the and community. the rumors of course yeah. yes and then uh, Betty Gale's classmates you know mm-hmm. some of them apparently pointed toward her too it actually got so bad for mrs. Brown that her uh, home crafters club actually felt the need to write an editorial letter to the Herald Leader mm-hmm. saying, taken up for her, saying, she, you know, she'd never do anything yeah. like this and she's a very loving person. So the, the rumors are out there. You know, they've tried to figure this case out for 57 years. And I, I tell you, I've heard numerous names. I'll never mention them mm-hmm. publicly, but I've heard names that astound me mm-hmm. as somebody who said, that, well, this person's the one to kill. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. So there's there's all kind kinds of rumors and names that are thrown out there, mm-hmm. and everybody's willing to say their opinion about who they think did it, but uh, nobody knows. Nobody can say well why. 
Um, and and that's, I think that's the reason why this story remains so yeah. fascinating for people. And that's why the rumors are so rampant. Yeah. yeah. That's where I'd start the investigation is concentrate on the why and concentrate on the thing. The one thing that seems most out of place to me mm -hmm. is the movie attendance on a working night. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I love going to movies, mm -hmm. but I, not I on a work ever, night. <laughs> I never can't ever remember going to a movie on a working night yeah. unless it's I'm working on a Saturday and I go on a Friday night or something. Yeah. But that seems out of place. So that's the first thing I would look at. And then, like I said, hopefully you can clear the parents and then go on to the next yeah. suspect. Yeah. So. Well, thank you so much, Wayne, for your okay. talk today and, and your research. It's pretty extensive. I, I do think at some point, in the next few years, I think somebody's going to come out mm -hmm. and we'll have a Well, name. hopefully, I think for some closure for the community as, yeah. as a whole. Well, thank you, Wayne. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm, or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at lexpublib.org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.